It's great we have all those children, isn't it? Yeah. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, today's New Testament reading comes from the fifth book, and it's called The Acts of the Apostles. The beginning of this book um, describes what we celebrate later in the week, which is ascension, the ascension of Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, approximately 40 days ago at Easter. Um, this is an accounting of his ascension, and it's written to um, Theophilus. We don't know really who Theophilus was, or actually who even wrote this book, but um, it, it tries to explain what happened. And if you can imagine, um, think about the apostles. They've been through everything with their beloved teacher, and now uh, they see something else that they don't understand, and they are bewildered, and they are confused and frightened. And this is, um, they're going to leave home now, because this is the beginning of their journey. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you unto heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. You are preaching, choir. Thank you. Let us hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. He writes to these early Christians, these Christians in the early church, and he prays for them. Let us listen in. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Love, you are Lord of heaven and earth. Our waiting hearts and minds long to see and hear you. Apart from your spirit, it cannot happen. And so we pray that you will be in and among us, work through human words and hearts and minds, and show us eternal things. Amen. I am in Florence, Italy. Carter and I are standing among a, a group, a crowd of strangers, people speaking languages from all places in the globe. We are waiting for the bronze doors of the baptistry of San Giovanni to open. The baptistry is a building which houses the baptismal font of the great cathedral, the Duomo, which stands, <clears throat> stands next to us. The font, as you can imagine, is immense. And it has its own building because 800 years ago, in the Middle Ages, when this was built, no one could even enter the cathedral and be part of the communion of saints until he or she had been baptized. The bronze doors on this baptistry are a thing of beauty in themselves, rich in detail, depicting the life of Christ. The doors swing open, and we 
like sheep, are herded into the space of the baptistry. And like sheep, we are bleating as we move, chattering our way across the threshold. But once inside, the bleating stops. We are struck dumb. We are standing in a rather dark space with walls of dark green and white marble. Any light that is in the space comes from above us and it draws our eyes upward. The light streams in from upper balconies of the octagonal room, but mostly the light streams from high above us, from a portal, a window, an opening at the apex of a soaring vaulted dome. Within the vaulted ceiling is a mosaic, part of which is pictured on the cover of your bulletin. This mosaic, entitled The Last Judgment, is so large and detailed, it took nearly 100 years, 100 years to complete. The golden tiles of the mosaic reflect the light from the apex of the dome and fill the vault with a golden glow. It is breathtaking. Dominating the scene above us is the figure of Christ seated on a throne. He and the other figures in the mosaic have that medieval expression that is either neither smiling nor frowning, quite unlike the photos of our day. Their expressions are inscrutable, which creates a, a distance and lends an air of mystery, of timelessness to these figures. These figures are untouched, unmoved. They are beyond the relentless turning of the ages. The golden glowing figure of this vaulted Christ has his hands outstretched, and he is enthroned directly above the baptismal font. The message is clear. In baptism, believers come under the grace and dominion of the Lord of heaven and earth, who reigns in majesty and glory for eternity, and who will sort things out in the age to come. The guide breaks the silence. He tells us that the first, the original building of the baptistry, was a simple structure, probably wooden, built on the ruins of an ancient guard tower that was part of a Roman border wall of the first century. This current building that we're standing in was constructed on the ruin of a Roman temple, remnants of a time when the Florentine people worshipped other gods. Pointing to a huge marble monument in the wall, the guide tells us this is the tomb of the anti-pope. The what? What is an anti-pope? Well, apparently, beginning at the end of the 14th century, for 39 years, there was not one, but two anointed vicars of Christ, 
to rival competing popes, each with his own army, who engaged in all manners of plots, intrigues, scandals, and corruption. The folly and depravity of mortals is nothing new. In the midst of this rivalry, a third pope was elected. And before that one died, he somehow managed to get things back on track by getting rid of the other two popes and stepping aside himself. Gull anti-pope. The significance of this guide's information is not lost on me. This figure towering over us in the golden vault is the one who towers over the ages. Mighty empires of the earth, kings and princes and popes, tyrants and heroes, rise and pass away. Lesser gods fall abandoned and forgotten, their temple in ruins. The art and architecture are doing what they are designed to do. They are putting me in my place. I stand in a space that dwarfs my own existence and draws my attention upward to the light of heaven, and it changes my vision. It corrects and resets my perspective. It pushes the boundaries of my vision out of the intrigues, the plots, and the politics of any passing age and draws my awareness beyond human history, beyond the reaches of this planet, beyond any planet, beyond measured, measurable time and space into eternity, turning me <clears throat> towards the God who put his mighty power to work in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in any age to come, standing mute, agape, in the light streaming from heaven. I am diminished and expanded all in the same moment. I might as well be on a hilltop in Bethany. What is going on in this curious event in Acts we call the Ascension? The risen Christ has brought his disciples to this hilltop outside Jerusalem for a purpose. He has been meeting with his dear friends for some time. It has been 40 days since his resurrection, 40 the length of time in the scriptures that signals something new is about to come into being. For 40 days, Christ has been explaining the scriptures to them. He has done many signs and wonders, we are told. They have eaten together and enjoyed fellowship with one another so that they can grasp that he is still himself, he is still real and alive. The 40 days must have been a sweet time 
like a honeymoon for disciples and Jesus. Now they are almost prepared to move on to the next stage of the mission, and Jesus is ready to move on to his next stage, too. But there is one more thing he must show them. Christ is about to lay on these disciples a great responsibility. He is passing on to them the mantle of the gospel. Christ has inaugurated God's reign. He has established God's kingdom, got a foothold of God's kingdom on earth. It is not yet complete. There is yet another stage to come before the work is done, and these simple, faithful ones will be the agents to continue this mission. Christ will soon be turning these disciples out into a hostile empire with just the shirts on their back and the sandals on their feet. They will come up against kings and rulers, against wealth and power, against prejudice and hostility. There will be plots and intrigue, corruption and scandal, as the seen and unseen powers of the earth will refuse to step aside, and lesser gods will lure them. So if these disciples are not to cower before the principalities and powers of the earth, if they are not to give up on themselves or the gospel, they need to stand in the presence of the mystery and the majesty of God and be bathed in the light of heaven to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. They need to know the greatness of the one who sends them forth, have their perspective changed and reset for this mission, pushed out from themselves and their borders towards infinity and beyond. To be both diminished and expanded all at the same time so that their hearts can know beyond a doubt who is in charge, who reigns, who heads up the mission, and who will bring it to completion. It won't be them. They must be put in their place. So the risen Christ takes them to this hilltop outside Jerusalem to show them his. It is not for you to know the times and the periods that the Father has set. And while they were watching, he was lifted up in a cloud of glory that took him out of their sight. They stand, looking up to heaven, spellbound by the mystery of the love that is Lord of heaven and earth. Now they are ready to face whatever comes. Friends, you and I, have been given a great responsibility. The mantle of Jesus Christ 
has been passed to us. And if the mission of Christ is to continue in this age, we are the ones in line to do it. In a world of plots and intrigues and scandals and corruption, where lesser gods lure us and unseen powers compete for our allegiance, it can be daunting to carry out this responsibility and live the uncommon and sometimes dangerous way of Christ and God's kingdom. If you and I are to live out what Christ has taught and shown us, if we are to resist agents of death and destruction and deception, if we are to stand against the wiles of the devil and not give up, then we need to see some glory. Again and again, you and I need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, our perspective adjusted and reset so that our hearts can trust beyond a doubt who is in charge, who reigns, who heads up this mission, and who it is that in the end will bring it to completion. Because you and I know it certainly won't be us. So the risen Christ comes to meet with us, comes to eat with us. He gathers us, maybe on a hilltop, or perhaps in some magnificent cathedral, but most certainly in this sanctuary, in worship, and at the table, and in the temple of our hearts. This is what we are doing here, week after week, and sometimes in between. We are standing looking up to heaven so that we can be bathed in the light of the risen Christ and be both diminished and expanded at the same time. Because only when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened can we know the precious hope to which he has called us, and enjoy the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, which we share, and experience the immeasurable greatness of his power for those who believe. Only when we stand before the glory of God, which puts us in our place, can we know and trust that Christ is in his place, towering over the ages, and be prepared to go forth and meet whatever comes. Let us pray. 
break forth, O oh, beauteous heavenly light, and enlighten our hearts once again. Prepare us to be sent forth. Amen. Let us stand and sing of the love that is Lord of heaven and earth, hymn number 376. <laughs> 